All right. Good morning again, everybody. Um, if you have a Bible with you, and I hope you do, uh, turn to the New Testament book of Acts. We have been studying, if you've been here this summer, you know this. If you haven't, this is what we've been doing. We've been studying through First and Second Samuel this, over this summer. That's our MO, uh, usually, um, that during the fall and spring, we're somewhere in the New Testament in the summer. If you're ever here, we try to dip into the Old Testament. So we've been in First and Second Samuel all summer, and uh, Greg Key helped teach a number of those weeks for me. I'm really grateful to him for that. And then just last week, I was out of town, and, and Aaron Wine helped round out that series with a conclusion and a summary of what we all we learned, and I'm grateful to him too. Starting next week... Um, Normally, normally we, we'll, we'll go through a study in the fall, spring of a New Testament that takes us all year long to do. So uh, we've, we've done John that way, Revelation that way, uh, Hebrews that way, Ephesians that way. Who was here, by the way, because we're in Acts today. Who was here when we studied through Acts in Sunday school? Hey, a small handful of you. Very good. This may sound familiar to you this morning then. Um, but this, this school year, we're not going to have a year-long study. We're going to study in the fall. We're going to study through Philippians. Um, and so I would commend to you sometime this week um, to read through Philippians. It's a letter. It's a short letter. Uh, read, read it a few times. Start getting real familiar with it. Um, and that will help you when you come <clears throat> on Sunday mornings. And then that will be the fall. And then the spring, we're going to go through the New Testament letter of James. So, awesome, just so you know that. But this week, we're finished with Samuel, and we're not yet to Philippians. So, kind of had this, this, uh, this week just kind of hanging out there. And so, I, I was thinking about something, what, what could sort of gear us up, what would be a good word for us as, as we're about to enter this, this new fall season, and, and people everywhere, and people we've never met before, incoming freshmen from all over the place. Uh, and all the new people we're going to meet. And I thought about this chapter in <clears throat> Acts. And uh, we stu- like I said, we studied through this a few years ago, so uh, I thought we'd circle back to chapter 14 from that chapter. So if you're open to that, just to situate you a little bit, um, when you come to Acts 14, you are, you are in the, the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. You may know that in Paul's life and ministry, uh, he... He had three different missionary journeys. Uh, the first one is in chapters 13 and 14 of the book of Acts. The second one will, will uh, be from the end of chapter 15 through uh, near the end of chapter 18. And then the third and final one from the end of chapter 18 through the middle of chapter 21. But here in, in chapter 14, our focus today, we're wrapping up his first missionary journey, which was the shortest of those three, and likely around the years 46, 47 A.D., which mean what, what we're about to read in chapter 14, this is happening about 15 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus, okay? And from chapter 13, you learn that, that Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the church in Antioch, and in chapter 14, we're going to see what happens on that journey when they are in the cities of, of Lystra and Iconium, um, before returning to home base in Antioch. We're going to read this chapter uh, together, and then we'll take a closer look at it, and I'll, I'll 
hopefully make clear why I've chosen this. You'll see why I've chosen this passage for us today. So uh, <clears throat> let's begin in uh, verse 1. You follow along as I read aloud. Now, at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing the faith that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when, he, when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles... Uh, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In, the, in, in past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways Yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even when, with these words, they scarcely constrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered into the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many, many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed." Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commissioned to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered with the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, this passage that we just read, different ones that we're going to look at over the course of this morning, Lord, we confess our faith that it is your holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And it is our request again this Lord's day that you would please 
Um, give us eyes to see the truth that you would have us to see in Acts 14. And would you give us not just eyes to see it, minds to understand it clearly? Would you give us hearts to embrace, to see as important as it is what we see here? Would you give us wills to obey and live out what we're admonished to, to do in this, in this passage? Would you please give me the help that I need to teach uh, what is here and to teach it clearly? Would you give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in the Word to us today? I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a fascinating chapter. Uh, you, could put, you could say that about any chapter in Acts, but it really is true. And there's so much to see uh, in this chapter. Um, and I'll, I'll try to, again, let you know why I'm wanting to look at that this morning. But here, if you're taking notes, here's, here's where I'm going to go with this. Um, there are three different angles that you could, you could look at uh, from this chapter. And the, the first one is this, the witness of the apostles. So if you're taking notes, that's the first thing we're going to take notice of is the witness of the apostles. That, that's prominent on practically every page in Acts because it's, it, they're, they're, they're fulfilling what Jesus said, his parting words to them, Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Um, and it's, it's cool here in, in 14 that not only are they uh, fulfilling that by bearing witness to Christ, but they're, they're fulfilling the rest of it in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and they're taking it to the Gentiles. I mean, um, yeah, the, some of the last words, verse 27, are how the Lord had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So this is Acts 1-8, to the ends of the earth. Uh, but you can't read about their witness without also seeing the second aspect, which is the reaction of the people. We're going to take notice of that. Uh, that may be, you know, the reaction of the people may be the most uh, prominent thing in this chapter. And, I, and when we get to that, that, I'm going to take note of three different reactions that the people received or that Paul and Barnabas received to their preaching. And then finally, sort of dripped and dropped throughout the chapter are this third aspect uh, where we'll talk about the work of the Lord, the work of the Lord in all this. You see it highlighted at the beginning, in the middle, and again at the end of the chapter. Um, and I, th I find this to be a very practically challenging and, and encouraging chapter. So that's how we're going to divide it up. So let's start by thinking about the witness of the apostles in this chapter. Again, like I said, this is going to be an emphasis throughout, but a couple of references we'll come back to at the end um, when we talk about the reactions. But here I want to zoom in mainly on what we see in the early part of this chapter um, in the first seven verses. There are three different references to their bearing witness in the early part of this chapter that I think teaches, each teaches us something about it. So like if you're looking at the chapter, verse 1, it says, they spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. That's one statement about their bearing witness. They spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Then if you look down in verse 3, it says, so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. And then down in verse 7, it says, and there they continued to preach the gospel. And I want to go back through each of those three verses. This is, I don't know if I'm going to teach you anything new today. I, I, it's not my plan necessarily. If, if, it, if, if I do say something and you're like, oh, I've never thought of that, that's great. But I would fully expect that everything I say this morning is going to be stuff you heard. I just want you to hear it again. I just want you to hear it again and be admonished by it. Again, the, the Christian faith is, is an old faith. And if you, go to, if you go somewhere and hear something new every week, you might want to let your alarm bells go up, right? Uh, it's, not, it's not, you don't want to hear something 
one time, a thousand different Sundays, but a thousand thing you heard a thousand times every Sunday. All right? So I want to go back through those verses and just note something about each of those references to their, uh, their bearing witness to Christ. It's a good reminder to us. Before we do that, I just want to, I want to say another real basic, basic truth, okay? We need to be reminded that the commission that these apostles had to bear witness to Christ in these situations is the same one that we've received to live out in our lives, okay? Um, their commission to bear witness to Christ is our commission to bear witness to Christ. Let me flesh that out because I want you to know why that's the case, okay? Don't just assume it. We talk a lot about the Great Commission. It's, it's kind of baked into, in a form, it's kind of baked into our purpose statement as Lakeview Baptist Church. But you know it. Hopefully you can quote it. All authority, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, uh, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Sometimes we quote that and we talk about that so much that I think we sort of stop, we, every time we stop thinking deeply about what it says. Um, some people, if you, if you think deeply about it, you, you, you might look at that and say, if you're just reading through Matthew, you'll say, well, um, Jesus gave that command to his apostles, his disciples. I mean, they were the ones sitting there, right? He called the, he called the 11 to himself. Judas is already gone, and he, the 11 were sitting there. And, it's, and he, they're the ones he was looking at, and this is what he told them. You, 11 guys. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. Um, and, uh, and so it immediately pertained to those first disciples. Um, so how, does that, how, is, how is their commission, though, than ours? He wasn't talking directly to me. He was talking directly to them. So how is that commission to them mine? Because it has within it, that commission that he gave to them has within it the command that also makes it immediately applicable to you. Okay? How so? What is the central command of the Great Commission? What is the only command in the Great Commission? Make disciples. That's the only command. Everything else is modifying that one command. Make disciples. Go, you, you modify it by going and then baptizing and then teaching. Okay, uh, To get grammatically nerdy on you, all those are participles. Going, baptizing, teaching. There's one, there's one imperative. There's one command. Make disciples, right? Um, and, and, and you do that by baptizing, by teaching. Helping, what does that mean? Baptizing is shorthand by, you make disciples by helping them come to faith that is, that is consummated in baptism. And, and you, you, you then disciple them, teaching them to observe all that Christ had commanded us to do. But if, you, if he says teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you to do. What is the most recent command he gave them? Make disciples of all the nations. So if he gave them the command to make disciples of all nations, and they do a good job of discipling the next guy, they pass on that command, make disciples of all the nations. And that, in that way, what he told them also is told to me and to you. So we've all received that commission that Jesus gave to his first disciples. And likewise, you see that even in the book of Acts. Just to do a little background here, uh, you remember I've already mentioned Acts 1-8 where he said that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they would be his witnesses. That is true not just for those first disciples, but for us too. 
Um, you see why I'm saying that. If you flip over, hold your place in 14, and flip back to verse uh, chapter 8. So in chapter 8, remember, if, you've, if you're familiar with Acts, remember that, that Stephen uh, was stoned to death as the first martyr in chapter 7. And then when you come to chapter 8, a whole wave of persecution arises because of that. And then you're told, uh, you're told in chapter 8, verse 1, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout all the region of, of, regions of Judea and Samaria, comma, except the apostles. So the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Everybody else was scattered to the far winds. Now look at verse 4. What, what, what did those who were scattered do in verse 4? Now those who were scattered, they went about preaching the word. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. The quote-unquote ordinary people were scattered all over the place, and those ordinary people went around bearing witness to Christ just like the apostles did. They had the same commission that the apostles did, right? Their commission is our commission. So you can go back to chapter 14, and uh, that knowing that that's the case, that that commission that Christ gave to the apostles is, is our commission, it's good that we come to this chapter and say, how did they do it? How did they do it? And we see a good example here in chapter 14. So we read in verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together in the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, you can read that in English and it can almost sound like, man, I don't know how they shared it, but they must have really been good at it because they spoke in such a way that because of what they said, man, they caused those other person to believe. That's not what it's saying, though. Like, you might read that, well, I'm not an apostle. I can't, I can't speak in such a way that I'm just making people believe. But that's not what they did. It's hard to translate that into, into English. But the Greek literally says, he spoke thusly. He spoke thusly, and people believed. Right? It's not saying that in his preaching he caused it. He didn't cause them to believe, but it is highlighting something about how they bore witness there. He spoke thusly. And we learn from the other parallel passage how thusly he would have spoken in that synagogue. Again, hold your place more time. Flip over forward to chapter 17. Chapter 17. This is what Paul would have done in a synagogue. He would have done it in Iconium. He did it the same everywhere. And, and chapter 17 gives us a good uh, good snapshot of what Paul would do in those synagogues. Verse seven, chapter 17, verses 1 and 2 says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom. So this is the norm here. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He reasoned with them, and he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. At the very least... If you're going to take that, and what are you going to do with that? If you, at the very least, um, that ought to challenge us, ought to challenge me to know the Scriptures well enough that you can reason with people as you bear witness from the Scriptures. Reason with them from the Scriptures. That, that, that is such a, a, basic, a basic thing. Uh, Aaron Wine and I, we, have, you know, we now have a seminary internship starting back up in this church. If any of you guys are sensing a call to ministry and 
in about three years or so, you'll, you could do that. But Erwin and I taught the, the first little intensive week-long class this past week, teaching them hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is uh, how, how do you interpret the Bible, okay? And we're talking about all these tools and all these methods to interpret the Bible. And I, I stopped about halfway through, and Noah can testify. He was in that class. I said, hey, you can learn all these things. But one thing, if you don't have this, you don't have anything. You've got to read your Bible. You just got to read your Bible. You just got to know it. Read it. You can learn Greek, and you can learn this, and you can learn that. But if you don't just pick up your little English Bible and read it and know it, you ain't going nowhere, right? And, and that, that, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. It ought to challenge us to read it and know it well enough that we can take that Bible and reason with people from the Scriptures. On, the, on, on another note, too, one of the easiest ways to bear witness to somebody about Christ is just to ask them if they would like to meet and read the Bible together. Hey, would you like to, would you like to read the Bible together? They may not be a Christian, but they may be intrigued that someone would even ask them that, right? And, they, and the worst that, they, that could happen, they say, no, I don't want to read the Bible, with you? Okay. But if they do, reading and reasoning from the Scriptures is the best witness of all because the Holy Spirit is just a better evangelist than you and me, right? You might not, be, you might not think you're, you're totally comfortable with just asking somebody that. You might, you, know, you might not be totally comfortable with having a gospel conversation with somebody or asking them to read the Bible with you. Um, but going back to chapter 14, verse 3 reminds us of another very necessary characteristic to being a faithful witness. It, verse 3 says, So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. They spoke boldly. You might not be immediately comfortable with sharing the gospel with somebody, asking them to read the Bible with you. Uh, I'm going to submit they weren't either. They spoke boldly. They needed boldness. And it didn't come naturally for them just because they were apostles. Right? How do I know that? How do I know that Paul wasn't just a naturally bold person? Because in Ephesians chapter 6, he asks the church in Ephesus to pray for him. Why? What? Pray for me. What? That he would be bold to proclaim the gospel. To share the gospel, as I ought to do, he says. There's an ought. He ought to bear witness to Christ. He didn't feel naturally bold to do that. So he says, church, would you pray for me that I would be bold? That the Lord would give me boldness? I, I submit to you, why, why should we expect it to come easier or more naturally to me and you than it did to the Apostle Paul? Who had to have people praying that he would be bold, because he wasn't otherwise. So if you feel like you don't have the boldness Naturally, in order to bear witness to Christ, to share the gospel with somebody, or ask them to read the Bible with you, I want to say, join the company of the apostles. Right? God will grant it when, when we ask, which we'll see in a minute. He'll more than reward you. So they spoke boldly from, and persuasively and boldly from the Scriptures. But going back to chapter 14, the last characteristic of, of their witness was most important, where in verse 7, it tells us, and there they continued to preach the gospel. They kept their focus on the gospel. And, and, and again, I already made you uh, turn back to 14, but just listen to what he said in, in chapter 17. 
as he went in, as it was his custom, three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. He, he, he would go and he'd just keep the focus on Jesus, who he was, what he did. You might be afraid to share the gospel with somebody because you're afraid that wh- however they respond, they're going to ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. That's fine. Nobody, was, nobody ever came to faith in Christ because, because you had all the answers to all their questions. Right? You can say, because you, you can say, I don't know, to every question they ask. But if you know the gospel and you share the gospel, the Holy Spirit's in that gospel. And it'll be like a rock in their shoe. They might walk away thinking, that was the dumbest person I've ever talked to. And then they lay their, they lay their head on the pillow that night and they can't get the gospel out of their minds. You know? They might think you're dumb, but they don't think the gospel's dumb. Right? So that's fine. Don't get sidetracked by all the other things that people might want to talk to you about when you're sharing Christ. Like, just keep the focus on Jesus. Like, what He's done. If you know the gospel, you're good to go. Right? Um, yeah, because that's the message that the Holy Spirit will keep in their minds, like a rock in their shoe. And it could bear witness a long time. A long time from... You just don't know. You need to trust God with His economy. You just do. You might, you might meet a freshman when you're a freshman, and you might share the gospel with them. They think you're the dumbest person on planet Earth, but you shared the gospel with them. They laid down that night, and they've thought about it. They may not think about it again the rest of their college career. And then they get married, and then they have their first kid, and all of a sudden now they're thinking, oh, I, I kind of need to raise this, raise this kid a certain way, but I don't know. And then they remember, you know, when I was a freshman, when I was a freshman, somebody shared the gospel with me, and they remember that. And that is like, you are long gone. He's way over here, and you're way over here, right? But because of that seed that you planted, years down the road, the Holy Spirit reminded that person of the gospel. You just don't know. Trust God with His economy. And uh, we're about to have thousands, not just not in this church, but on this campus and in this church, thousands of new faces on campus at Auburn. Um, and we need to be faithful with the gospel with them. You need to be faithful with our witness for Christ. And, I, and, and I'll, I'll even say we need to be faithful with the gospel even for kids who come to Auburn and visit Lakeview. And you think, well, you might assume, well, they're already a really spiritually mature person if nobody made them get up and they got up anyway and they came to Lakeview. You might think, wow, they're they're already a Christian. You say, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, if you should meet a freshman and you do the good thing and say, hey, you want to get coffee or lunch one day? And at some, ask them, even if they, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Ask them. At some point, how did you become a Christian? Like, uh, how did you come to faith in Christ? What, tell me about that. What was your story? And and if if you like, I don't know if I, that just seems forward. I, it seems very bold. It's like, oh, you're a Christian. Tell me about it. Um, it. It could be, though, that in just tell me your story, and and then they they they're going to do probably the natural thing. Tell me your story, and as you tell your story, well, that's the details you put in your story. Right? Hey, the part. This is part of who I am. This is where I grew up and everything. This is the church I went to. Let me tell you. This is when I came to faith in Christ. 
this is how I came to faith in Christ. And you share with them how you're, and then, then you can come back to them. What about you? Did, did, did anything like that happen to you? Uh, and it, it may be that they grew up in a church and they came their freshman year just because that's the habit they had growing up. Of their mom and daddy made them go to church. And they may say they're a Christian, but you might, may find out they really don't understand the gospel. All right? And they, 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 they may, not have, they might make, may have never really repented and believed. And, they, and you met them at church, right? So, you know, um, there will be all kind of gospel opportunities in the coming year, not just for people who are vocally opponents of the gospel, but maybe even people who are just here because that's what mom and daddy expect them to do, you know? Um, and, and we need to have eyes to, to see that. Well, if these early verses teach us anything about the witness of the apostles, which could characterize our witness too, bold, focused on the scriptures, focused on the gospel, if it also teaches us anything else, it should, we, we should expect all kind of responses to that. Uh, they got all kind of responses. Think about the reaction of the people for a minute. Like, like I said earlier, this may be the most prominent aspect of this chapter. It's really interesting to note the different um, responses that they received in the different cities that they went to on this first missionary journey. We'll start with the most positive note because, first of all, it's, it's clear that in, the, in each place they went, there were some, maybe even many, uh, who believed. They believed the gospel that they preached and were saved. We see that in, in verse 2. Look at verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles uh, well, no, no, verse 1. It says, um, they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And we see it again in verse uh, 22. Strengthening the souls uh, of, the, of, the, of the disciples, encouraging them to continue the faith, saying that through many tribulations uh, we must enter the kingdom of God. And, 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 yeah, just everywhere they went, there were some believers there. There were enough successes in their, in their missionary journey that when they report back to the church in Antioch at the end of the chapter, they were able to say in verse 27 that God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles so that when they spread the, the, the seed of the gospel bold, uh, broadly, people come to faith in Christ. And I think that's just, that's just basic Christianity. That's just basic probability, too, in God's economy that if, if, you, sh- if you share, the, if we all are faithful to share the gospel as we go. People will come to faith in Christ. You know, it, it, may, it may be few and far between in the number of times we share, but people will come to faith in Christ. And, uh, and as we see, these, these people came to faith in Christ in some very hard places. And if we, if we just all made it our aim to share the gospel throughout this school year, we could see people come to faith in Christ. That's what we want. But I want to hi- uh, highlight broadly two other kinds of responses they received in the city of Lystra. When Paul and Barnabas entered that city, the Lord healed a crippled man through them in a story that it kind of reminds you from Acts 3 with Peter and John, but it got everybody's attention in town, as you can imagine. And instead of, but in Lystra, instead of causing them to listen to what Paul had to say, it says in Lystra they began to praise Paul and Barnabas and called them gods, Greek gods. Um, that had come to earth, Barnabas, Zeus, Paul, Hermes, and they wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Um, something similar happened uh, in, back in chapter 12 uh, with uh, King Herod, and he died because he didn't give glory to God. 
Uh, but, but in here, Paul and Barnabas lament and they wail because you're, 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 it's idolatry. You're, you're repent and turn to Christ, not us. But it says in verse 18 that even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. All this people saw were, I don't know, fame and celebrity maybe. <clears throat> and I think it may teach us something about people and culture in general. Um, more than how people will necessarily respond to our witness. It does teach us that some people, maybe many, miss the message of the gospel because they're so enamored by the fame of the preacher. Or uh, too often, that, that, and often that, that fame and, and celebrity deceives the preacher too, and he has a terrible end. Um, but the, many even who profess faith in Christ uh, or profess to be interested in the, in the gospel um, may, may actually miss the, the gospel of Christ because they're, they're just caught up in other meaningless things. Um, you know, their, their eyes were fixed on Paul, uh, that their ears were d- deaf to the gospel that he was preaching. It, it's frightening to consider the magnitude of how this is playing out still in our own time. Um, so many are involved in a particular church or excited about it just because of the popularity of the church or that's where all my friends go or the music or the building or the atmosphere or the crowd, the preacher... Um, reasons that don't have anything to do with Jesus. And um, that's just as heartbreaking as the other response we see in this chapter, that compared to the relatively peaceful response that Paul and Barnabas received in Lystra, consider the starkly different response they received by others in Lystra and also Iconium. So back to the early verses, when Paul preached in Iconium, we saw that many believed, but really, verse 4 says the city was divided. And those who didn't believe didn't just not believe. They wanted, as verse 5 says, to mistreat them and to stone them to death. That's pretty, that's pretty hot and bothered. <laughs> um, well, Paul and Barnabas caught wind of that and fled to the next town, which was Lystra. Let me just point this out, which was about 18 miles away. Sometimes we read our Bible and read these towns and it just washes over us. Lystra was 18 miles away. And uh, Lystra was where some of them thought they were gods and they wanted to sacrifice to them, but that wasn't the only response. Verse 19 is a crazy verse. Verse 19, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. It's easy to pass by those first few details. Uh, You can almost get sucked into... They stoned Paul. They thought he was dead. That's really the climax of that verse, right? I've already mentioned that Iconium was about 18 miles from Lystra. So Jews traveled 18 miles just to oppose Paul. But it also said they came from Antioch. That's over 100 miles from Lystra. 100 miles! That Jews traveled that far just to persecute him. And, and, and killed him, right? That is an extreme example of the other kind of response to the message of the gospel. Some miss it because they're enamored by lesser things. Others miss it because they're blind hatred to Jesus of, of Jesus and anyone who follows him. I mean, yeah, in our day, we have that kind of response too. There are many who uh, simply aren't opposed to Jesus in their heart and minds. They're hostile about it. But this chapter shows us three kinds of responses. Some believed... 
Some were kind but completely uninterested in the gospel. Some hated Jesus and the gospel and the people who believed in him. Paul knew he couldn't control. That's, that's, that's to an apostle's preaching. He couldn't control how they received the, the gospel. So he just wanted to stay faithful to the task of bearing witness. Even when they stoned him in Lystra and left him for dead, thinking he was dead, and they were not dummies. They had seen dead people before, and they thought he was dead. Probably near it. It says in verses 20 to 22, he got up and went back through the same cities where they tried to stone him, where they actually had stoned him, and he continued to preach the gospel. Can you imagine? And the Lord, had, and the Lord blessed him as he bore, bore witness, which is the last thing I want us to see quickly, and we'll have a minute or so around our tables. Uh, I want us to see the work of the Lord in all this. That's the last uh, emphasis in this chapter, is the work of the Lord through all of this. Um, we're reminded all through the chapter, as they were bearing witness to Christ, faithfully so, boldly so, reasoning from the Scriptures, reasoning about Jesus, focus on the gospel, and even in, we believe to, we, wanna, we love you, we want to offer sacrifices to you. I just came a hundred miles to stone you to death. All those different responses, it says in all of that, the Lord was working to build His church. Early in the chapter, when they were in Iconium, as they were preaching the gospel, um, notice it said, uh, so they remained for a, a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. That's what they did. What did the Lord do? The Lord bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. You might say, well, I've, I've never experienced the Lord doing a sign or a wonder by my hand. And you may never. But there's, a, there's, a, there's an even more amazing sign and wonder than whatever that was. The, the greatest sign and wonder of all is that a spiritually dead heart is now alive. He raises a dead heart to life. That's pretty awesome. And he can use you to do that. The Lord bore witness to his grace. And then and you go down in the middle of, his, of the chapter. When they were in Lystra, as they were trying to, as people were trying to worship Paul and Barnabas, Paul says in verse 7 that God has not left him, uh, 17, God has not left himself without a witness to them, and that will stand against against them in judgment for their idolatry. So that's, that's God, God is doing something, and it's not always bringing people to faith. It could be hardening them further and, and letting them know ahead of time, judgment is coming. You reminded them of that, and that's working out in God's economy. But then at the end of the chapter, when they were reporting back to the people in Antioch, like we saw earlier, they reported in verse 27, they, they reported not all that they did, Notice what they declared. They did not declare all that they did. They declared all that God had done with them in opening a door of faith to the Gentiles. That's why I said, if we would be faithful to bear witness to, the, to, to Christ and share the gospel with people this year, we will see someone or several someones come to faith in Christ. Um, not because we're just real good at sharing the gospel, but because God is real good at overcoming our deficiencies and opening blind eyes and hearts to see the truth, to believe it. And the bottom line is this. This chapter teaches us that when we're faithful to bear witness to Christ, we can expect all kinds of reactions, but in every case we can know that God is working His will 
through that witness we bore. It's all part of a bigger story. And uh, 